Our text will be in Genesis chapter 49, but uh, if we get there, I'll be turning to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I used to tell you, put a finger in the Bible or a bulletin or something there to go there, but it seems like anymore I don't get to there, so I have to wait at night. So if you still want to put a bulletin there, you can, because I'll get there tonight if I don't get there today, okay? All right. We're on Genesis chapter uh, 49, and I'm going to look at the <clears throat> verses 1 and 2, and then I'll probably read verses 8 and 10 just to kind of lay the foundation for this. We've uh, called this series, What's Next? With all the things going on in the world today, people are wondering about nuclear warfare. We wonder if our country's going to get into war. We just wonder about everything that goes on, all the things that are said. And so we, we get the tendency to wonder, is, is this the rapture about near? Well, the rapture could happen at any time since Jesus went to heaven. But uh, there are things he lets us know that uh, makes us aware that we need to be watching, waiting, and always be ready for his appearing. But here in Genesis chapter 49, verse 1, And Jacob called unto his sons, and said, Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. Now, Jacob's not only their father saying this, but you've got to understand, Jacob is also speaking as a prophet of God. God has given him this prophecy, and it's to his sons, and it will be about the things that happens with his sons all the way even up into this day. And so we need to look at this, and it says in verse 2, Gather yourselves together, and hear, you sons of Jacob, and hearken unto Israel your father. Now let's just jump over to verse 8 through 10. And as a matter of fact, uh, we'll come back, we'll hit that a little bit as we go here this morning. But Judah, now he's been mentioning different ones. We're not going to look at each one. But a lot of those things have already happened. Those things have come around uh, in the lives of these uh, different sons and the prophecies that were made back in that time. Uh, and here, here's one good example. Uh, here in verse 8, Judah, thou art uh, he whom thy brethren shall praise and shall be in the neck of his enemies. Uh, thy hand shall be in the uh, neck of thy enemies. And thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's whelp from the prey. My, uh, lion's whelp. Let me just stop and say here before I go on further on that. The lion's whelp. Uh, Jesus is called the lion of the tribe of Judah. Okay, and so I just want you to understand that this is looking at Jesus coming through the tribe of Judah all of those uh, years ahead of time. And so uh, he's talking about that, about Judah being that very thing. So he says, Judah's a lion's whelp from the prey. My son, thou art gone up. Uh, he stooped down. He couched as a lion. And it's an old lion. Who shall rouse him? In verse 10, the scepter, which I'll say more about, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver 
from between his feet until Shiloh come, and unto, uh, unto him shall the gathering of the people be. So there's prophecies there about Christ, his second coming, other things going on, but we're going to look at this today and, and just go further into this series. It's actually from Ezekiel 38. You say, how do you get that out of Ezekiel 38? I don't know, I just got it. Uh, but, uh, and I'm just kidding with you, okay, but Ezekiel 38 is talking about the Russian invasion of Israel. Happens during the first part of the tribulation, I believe. But, are we seeing things line up to that? <clears throat> and in the next couple of weeks, I'll be covering that, what each of those various lands are there that march in with Russia. And, and so we'll be covering that ahead of time, but uh, uh, in, a little while later. But uh, we've got other things ahead of time that we want to share with you. But let's have a word of prayer, then we'll get started. Father, I pray as we go into your message today, Lord, what you've given us. Lord, I pray that uh, can rightly divide the word, that you'd speak to hearts through it, because this definitely is your word. And so, Lord, I pray that you would use your word to speak to hearts. Lord, if there's one, again, I ask, Lord, that if they're unsaved, they'll come to know Christ as Savior through this, thy word today. Do the work that only you can do, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. We are looking at this. As a matter of fact, we got started last Sunday night a little bit on this, but uh, the coming of Jesus Christ. He's going to set up a kingdom that is a 1,000-year kingdom, but before He comes, there's a seven-year tribulation period that's going to hit this earth. And at the end of that seven years, and that seven years will start when the world leader, the Antichrist, signs a covenant with Israel. When that covenant is made, then there will be seven years of tribulation like this world has never known. Then Christ comes back. He sets up a 1,000-year reign. It'll be a reign of peace. It'll be the prosperous time. It'll be a peaceful time. It'll be a time like the world has never known before because Christ will be sitting on that throne. But, when he's the lawgiver, we saw an example of that last week in John 13, 34 and 35 when Jesus said uh, that he was going to give a new law to them, a new commandment. When he said a new commandment, he was talking about the Ten Commandments. A new commandment, I give it to you, it's on the same level as the Ten Commandments. And that was that you love one another even as I have loved you. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples and that you love one another. But that love one another is as Christ loved us. And so as a church, as an individual, as each of us here that claim to know Jesus Christ as our Savior, we fall short of what the Lord has for us if we don't love one another and if we don't love as Christ loves. And that's a hard thing to meet. It really is. But that is the standard that He has set for us in our life. And so, He sets that up for His kingdom. But then He's also talking about a second coming. You'll notice He said, till Shiloh come. Shiloh was always a place in the Scriptures. And at least 39 times the Hebrew word they use for Shiloh is 
pretty well the same except for one time. It's right here in Genesis chapter 49, verse 10. Where Shiloh here, because of the way it's written and the way it's worded and the way it's, uh, it's, it's tenses and so forth that it has, it now is referring to a person in a kingdom. The gathering shall be. And so that's the idea there in verse 10. The scepter, the scepter is a thing of the ruling. We pointed out Esther how uh, she had to touch the scepter to be accepted or she would die. She could go in there. If the king didn't extend the scepter to her, she's dead. But he extended it and she touches it and she's accepted. And we've tried to point out how sometimes that is kind of like the, uh, well, the judgment seat of Christ for the saved, I think is kind of an emblem of the Christian receiving reward. Where at the white throne judgment there's no scepter, they've entered the presence without no scepter extended to them, and their eternity will be the lake of fire when they stand before Him. And so, it's when Jesus sets up that rain there, when Shiloh comes, then there will be peace as the world has never known before. And the millennial reign begins. And so we saw those things last time about Shiloh coming and about the gathering being unto him. Remember they gather unto him. There's going to be a judgment of nations, but then there's the gathering of Israel. They're brought in from all uh, four corners of the earth. We say the gathering that's going on today in Israel is probably a sign of that. Well, you might say that, but really the Jews, there's a lot of Jews in America. There's more Jews in America than there are in Israel right now. So when you think about that, Jews are scattered around the world. But when Jesus comes back, they're all going to be brought back to Israel. All of them. So when you think about that, that is something that's going to happen, and they shall gather unto him they shall all be gathered there but then we get to verse 11 because he was talking about judah the lawgiver and all his sons all of this is in prophecy but then dan notice what he says in verse 11 about dan the tribe of dan dan shall be a serpent by the way an adder in the earth that biteth the horse's heels, so that his rider falleth backwards. Dan, a serpent? What do we think about a serpent there? Remember in the garden? A serpent, but that serpent, uh, that serpent was Satan empowered. Now who made Eve? God. He made Eve out of a rib of Adam. But although she's made of that, she still has a free will because we are created in God's image. God is a spirit, and so we have a free will. Satan said, hey, God's holding things back on you. You could be so much better off, and, and oh boy, just think of everything that would be so much better if, if this, if that. Go ahead and eat of that fruit, and she did. And we're in the mess we are today because he, Adam, and she did. The serpent tempted her and, and, and they fell right there in the Garden of Eden and the devil. And of course, the serpent is always associated with the devil. As a matter of fact, you read in Revelation chapter uh, 12, you'll see that Satan 
It's called that old serpent, a dragon, the devil. Calls him all of those names. That's what he is. That's what he is to mankind. And so I believe that what we're seeing here is that Dan is through the tribe of Dan, being that one that bites at the horse's hoofs and causes the rider to fall backwards, I think Dan, is, we're being told here, is he from where the Antichrist will come. Now, when we look at Judah, the line of Christ would come through there. But, a lot of the kings that were of the southern kingdom, that is the kingdom where Jerusalem was, David's kingdom, boy, they were some wicked, evil people of the line of Christ. And, and to go further than that, you find that Rahab, the harlot, the line of Christ. Ruth, the Moabites, the line of Christ. But you see, when God saves a person, He changes a person. And therefore what God has cleansed, call it not common or unclean, we're told in the book of Acts. But these people, these people, goes against all of this, your product of your environment, because they were raised, uh, Adam and Eve sinned in the very best environment they could be in. These kings of Israel, of, 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 the, northern, of the southern kingdom, they fell. But then it's not just them. I mean... Uh, you see these then that, through which that maybe the Antichrist will come. And I believe we're seeing an indication from the tribe of Dan. Now I find it interesting because in the Bible, in the tribulation period, there are 12,000 that are sealed out of each tribe. 12,000. They will live through that tribulation. They will not be put to death. They will be able to live through it and be a testimony for Christ. That doesn't mean that uh, nobody in those 12 tribes that are mentioned won't die. They will, but those 12,000 are sealed won't. <clears throat> but the tribe of Dan is not there. Remember, Joseph had Manasseh. Remember? He had two sons, not just one. So they're giving two tribes <clears throat> through the tribulation that have 144,000 out of each tribe that are, that are reserved, that, are, that, that go through it. However, when you get to Ezekiel chapter 48, verses 1 and 2, you will find that Dan in the millennium will be restored, but not till then. But you go back and you look at this tribe of Dan. What, why the tribe of Dan? Well, first of all, you find out that idolatry came into Israel through the tribe of Dan. In Leviticus, it also talks about woman, a Jewish lady of the tribe of Dan, has a husband that evidently is not a Jewish person of the children of Israel. And so her son and the son of an Israelite person get into a fight and the son of the Danite woman curses God. 
You know, when it curses God, let, let, let's get an understanding of that, cursing God. Sometimes we say, if you take the Lord's name in vain, well, taking the Lord's name in vain is definitely sin. When you say that name, and it's not in a form of, of worship, you say Jesus Christ, it's not in the form of worship, it's not in the form of honor, and you're just mad, and you're saying and using those names, you have just sinned grievously against God. But cursing God is saying, I hate that Christian faith. I hate that God that would create a hell. That is cursing God. And so all the evil things they say against God of His goodness and His righteousness, cursing that God created the heavens and the earth instead of it being some kind of an explosion of gas. That's cursing God. Well, that boy did that in Leviticus, and guess what happened? They brought him to Moses and said, what do we do? And Moses says, let me ask the Lord. And the Lord says, kill him. Cursing God is a capital offense against God. But it doesn't stop there. As you go on down through the history, there's other ones that are involved from the tribe of Dan. But the one probably more famous is a judge of Israel. His name is Samson. Oh, Samson, boy, we think of the man of all, all those muscles. We think of all the men. But you know what? Everything that appeals to Samson is the flesh, the temptation of evil. And oh, yes, Samson did... Uh, Ask God at the end there to just give me my strength back just one more time. And he did bring down that, uh, a lot of Philistines in his death. But the truth of the matter is, he was of the tribe of Dan. And it seems like a lot of evil comes forward out of the, those of the tribe of Dan. Now, that doesn't mean that those of the tribe of Dan can't be saved. They can get saved. Just like there's nobody in this world, whether they're communists, whether they're capitalists, whether they're anything else, whether they're Muslims or what have you, they can be saved. But they need to hear the gospel, and each one has a personal responsibility to turn from their sin, to turn from the, what they've been trusting, and turn to Jesus Christ, trusting Him fully. Now, we think, do you believe that with what's going on today is the telling us that the coming of Christ is soon. I don't know if it's a specific thing. For an example, uh, they look at President uh, Zelensky of, of the Ukraine. He is a Jew. He wants to have peace talks in Jerusalem. And they say, uh-oh, he's going to make that thing. Well, he also has a deadly wound of the head that is healed, and we don't, haven't seen that quite yet, have we? Wounded unto death, and yet he's healed by Satan. So we really, when people are guessing at it's this or it's that one, don't, don't jump on that right away. Uh, Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, Jesus said, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. So, only God the Father knows when He's come back. Look, in 1948, 
you had so much going on in 1948. Israel gets back in the land. The World Council of Churches is formed. You also have the new evangelical faction that starts, that separates from the true fundamentals of the faith. All of that in 1948. Boy, that's a sign the Lord's going to come back. My dad often talked of his father, who died, I think, in the early, about 1952, 53, somewhere around there. His dad thought the Lord was going to come back before he died, seeing all that that happened. With World War II and those things that happened in Israel, he just thought the Lord was going to come back. My dad felt like the Lord would come back before he died. And I imagine that if you go back, when we get to heaven, we'll see that many were looking for him. And we're to be looking for the coming of Christ at any time. We are to be ready. Jesus could come today. Maybe today my Lord will come for me. Maybe today my Savior I shall see. Maybe today my Lord will come for me. And I will go home. I'll go home. That's where I'm going to live eternally. And so... Do you know Christ? And are you sure that if He came today that you would be raptured? Or would you be left behind? Only our Father in heaven knows the day that He's going to do it. So don't be quick to jump on something when somebody says, what about this? What about that? Because Satan wants you that after it's proven to be wrong, to say, all right, see? See, these people are saying all these things and it didn't happen. Just watch out for those people. And they'll come, and that's happened many times over the years, uh, probably out of a desire for Jesus to come. And seeing all that was going on, it does bring on fearful ideas. But Satan doesn't know the hour. I believe that he has, he's had the Hitlers in the past. He's had others in the past that made Christians think, is Christ coming? Is it soon? Because of the power they have and all the death and destruction they cause. But see, Satan doesn't know the day or the hour. So he tries to have a person prepared in every generation for this. And yet we do not know who that person is because he won't be revealed until after we're out of here. So, and we'll say more about that probably this evening. But we want to uh, see that no matter who it is, he will be Satan-empowered. Now, people ask about Zelensky. Well, I don't know if he's of the tribe of Dan. Now, just because it said, I think he's of the tribe of Dan because of this prophecy made here, the horse falling backwards still doesn't say that he's going to be the Antichrist coming out of there, but it could be. Is President Zelensky that? I don't know if he's out of the tribe of Dan. I don't know if he is or not. They, they say they have DNA tests that can tell you what tribe you're from now. I was told that when I was in Israel before. And so they can know what tribe they are from. But we do know that whoever it is, his deadly wound is healed and he will give glory to Satan, that old serpent, the dragon, He'll give glory to him as having healed him of this deadly wound. Now, as I said, people have tried to guess this over the year. I can remember back in the 1980s. 
Ronald Wilson Reagan had just been elected president. And a lady in my church come up to me. And she said, Pastor, you know, when President Reagan's supposed to be a Christian, but could that be deceptive? Could he be the Antichrist because his name, Ronald Wilson Reagan, there are six letters in each name, six, six, six. I said, well, he's not a Jew. And that settled it for her. But what I'm saying is, is that it seems like we want to assign the, the Antichrist to somebody that we already know is alive today. And we don't know if his coming is, if that rapture takes place real soon, the guy is alive today. But we don't know who he is. There's some that you think, well, it could be him. I can imagine some saying, well, probably it's Putin. I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say it's anybody's. I wouldn't name a name because we don't know. And he says we don't know. If he says we don't know, then why are we trying to guess and mislead people? You see, you find there, uh, when, when you read through there, uh, as, as they go on, he has a deadly wound that is healed. And he has successfully repressed the Russian aggression Zelensky does. But it still may not be him that's the man that's talking about. But I can see how people be deceived by that. So again, don't jump on a bandwagon that you really don't know is there. Uh, you know, we hear those preachers get on this. And by the way, if you're in it for the money, it's a good way to raise money. Oh, he's coming. I, I got a word from the Lord. I was using that just a little while ago uh, over here just to say, uh, illustrate that fact. I got a word from the Lord. You need to move here. Okay. Hey, I did. Um, no, but uh, okay, we're saying, I got a word from the Lord. And people will say, I got a word from the Lord. Zelensky is it. If you'll send me your money, I'll tell you how to put up in this time with tribulation. It's going to hit you so hard. Well, if they're saved, they're not going through the tribulation. But boy, they'll do it, and people will send money to it. I'm going to digress here for just a moment, but I knew someone who worked not only with Evangelist Rex Humbard way back there years ago. He was his advanced man, all this. And as a matter of fact, most of you, if you don't run me off here, I'll tell you this story. But I actually, the office that was back there, it was my dad's office. I actually had that office uh, for a while there, and I told dad to take it back over. But uh, uh, I actually sat down, great TV preacher. Everybody knew the TV preacher, Rex Humbard. He came and visited me in that office, and we talked for about an hour to two hours. Okay, and I believe that he was very sincere about winning souls, and he told me, he says, look, you won't see me on any panel programs. I didn't go to Bible school. He says, I can't answer those questions. He says, all I'm concerned about is getting souls saved. And he sat there and talk, told me about the people and people he'd witnessed to and things like that. 
and that was his whole heart. He could just tell us his heart. But I'm saying all that just to say this, is that no matter who it is, he had this thing where he said uh, they needed more money, all these, the cable come on, now his TV ministry had all these others in competition to him, and so he didn't know what to do about raising money. And some marketers told him, have a prayer, prayer cloth. And he wouldn't do it. He said, no, we are not going to have this prayer cloth. And they had all of his, his, his children were part of his staff, all of his staff. Got to do this, got to do this, got to do this. And finally, just go ahead and do it. He raised within a month about six times more than he had ever raised. He was shocked. And yet at the time he knew that prayer cloth's not going to do anything for anybody, and that's why he didn't want to do it. That's what we have to do to get money in. If we've got to be liars to get money in, for example, faith promise, if we've got to be liars about it, we're not going to do it. Now when the Bible says something, see I can tell you, that you're given to missions is fruit to your account because the Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 4 when they, when they gave to the mission ministry of the Apostle Paul and those missionaries planting churches through that area at that time, he said that that was fruit that goes to your account as well as those souls get saved. Okay, I can say that with the utmost assurance because that's what God said. And so, I know that from that, but just this other stuff you've got to be careful of. Uh, Jesus Christ gave a warning to us. And it's found in Matthew chapter 24, verses uh, 23 and 24. To not be deceived concerning these things of prophecy. Mark 15, verse uh, and, and Luke 21 also tells us the same thing. He starts out when he's talking about prophecy, and when things are going to happen, he says, be not deceived. Be not deceived. And by the way, we'll see that in 2 Thessalonians when we get to it. Be not deceived. Evidently, one of the major sins of this last day is deception deceiving even believers because believers are being warned by Jesus Christ and later by the Holy Spirit through the pen of Paul to not be deceived. You've got to know the Word of God, stay in the Word of God, live by the Word of God, and trust the Word of God. That's where you go. It's always, always, always right. And man's modern, follow the science, thing doesn't work. I mean, I know they want us to follow the science, but I still think that there are two genders, a boy and a girl. Okay, and I don't know about all these other genders, but I've never found out yet, I've not heard it reported yet, that when they do those tests on the women to see what kind of a child this is going to be, is it going to be a boy or a girl? They've never said, uh, this is going to be number 30. Oh, this is going to be number, uh, oh, that's going to be number 42. Now, this is unusual. No, they, they tell them it's going to either be a boy or a girl. That's the science, by the way. That's the science. And so we go by the science. Know the Word of God. And so again, we see these things that are happening. 
Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Now let me just give this one illustration, then we'll try to start closing things up. Years ago, sermon I preached here, I did a lot, of, a lot of research. Matter of fact, I went back to it for this series. And I found one of the articles that I was looking at back then. And I thought it was interesting to share with you. It was a newspaper. It's about 25 years ago. And I looked at the uh, headline in it. It did get my attention way back then. And it told us then that Israeli forces made an unprovoked attack on a Gaza refugee village with people there being killed and children and so forth, wounded. And supposedly, again, it was unnecessary. And that's the way the media reported it. What they did not count on is Israel took cameras with them. I, I remember, I, I've got pictures, I, I've got the pictures, matter of fact, that President Eisenhower, was General Eisenhower at the time, told his people to take those brownie cameras, those cameras with them and take pictures because some idiot's going to come along years later and he's going to uh, deny this ever happened. They went into those places. That is one of those places where he's one of the first ones there to free those concentration camps and to find all those dead bodies and everything else they found. And I, I wouldn't put those pictures up in the screen. They're, they're too bad to see. But nonetheless, he told them to take those pictures because somebody would try to deny it. Well, I think Israel got a hold of that too and they took those pictures and um, what they found out in those pictures, uh, that it was not that idea, but instead, when they got into the village, they found terrorist bombs, rockets, and other materials, along with women and children, because they knew that it's bad for Israel if they surround themselves with women and children and they're shooting bombs or they're shooting uh, heavy weaponry at those Israeli people, if they fire back and it hits one of those children, the world media is going to be against Israel. It's all right to kill all those Israelis, but it's not all right if there's children there. Well, when they had all those pictures, then the UN, the world court couldn't do anything about it. They had the proof to the opposite, and they did not do anything about it. Okay, oh, that's just the way it is today. But there's a newspaper that tried to deceive, the news media tried to deceive the world about that. You can be deceived if it's not from the Word of God. Now look, when a person gets saved, God does something for you besides saving you, applying His blood that was shed for your sin, my sin, all of our sin, applying that blood to your account. But He does not only make that payment in full by His blood, He also 
gives you his very Holy Spirit. And that's why several times throughout the Bible we find out it is preserved, it says, from this generation. You know, you don't have generations in heaven. They don't reproduce in heaven. It's on earth. He says, for, from this generation forever. Other words, God will see to it that the Word of God is preserved forever and ever. That's why he said in Timothy to give attention to reading, because they didn't really have all these printed things like we do, and to exhortation. The preaching of the Word. We were told that. And when you get saved, Jesus died for you, the Father sent His Son, and then the third part of the Trinity, He puts His Holy Spirit to dwell with you forever. Don't go to the Bible if you're not sure if you died today that heaven's your home to say, I'm going to understand everything it says about uh, the end of times. If you're going to want to know the end of times, go to Revelation chapter 20. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the eternal lake of fire there. There's no rest day or night forever and ever. Tormented forever and ever. You should be able to understand that. And not curse God by saying, what kind of a good God would do that? Realize, realize that you have a personal responsibility to receive Christ. Now let me say this, because if you walk out of here and you're not sure you're saved, you walk out of here without Christ, I'm going to tell you this and tell you this now. This day, you die without Christ, will be remembered, and it will come before you when you're standing at that white throne judgment getting ready to be cast into the lake of fire. And you say, well, I, I, I just never heard the gospel. I never had a chance. Well, this is your chance. Jesus died on the cross for every sin you ever have or ever will commit. He was buried, and He rose from the dead bodily, and He ascended into heaven to prepare a place for those who receive Him. He says, as many as receive Him, to them gave He the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name, which were born, not of blood. You're not born a Christian. You're not born saved. Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. Oh, I'm going to work for it. I'm going to earn my way to heaven. You can't. What are you going to do that equals what Christ did on the cross? To have the almighty wrath of His Father poured out upon His human spirit. What about? What about? Not only the will of the flesh, but the will of man. Men saying, well, you know, if we do this, if we do that, you know. If, if, if we're benevolent, and we give, and we... Jesus said, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. God commandeth all men, all men. There's nobody excluded from that. God commandeth all men, Acts chapter 17, verse 30 and 31, to repent because He has appointed a day in which He will judge the world by that man whom He hath ordained in that He hath raised Him from the dead. 
You must receive Jesus Christ into your heart and life as your Lord, as your Savior, as your God. Some say, I got baptized. That doesn't save you. Well, I said this prayer. Hocus pocus doesn't save your prayer. I said, I said the right words. I got the right words. If you get the right words, you're saved. No, that's not repentance. Repentance is saying, this is my life. Let me close out with the, with the same illustration you've heard me use many times. A couple walks down here to get married. When they walk out, they're married. But the night before when we went through the rehearsal, when they walked out, they weren't married. She may have turned from five guys she dated before that wanted to marry her. He might have turned from one girl. I mean, girls do much better than that than guys do, you know. But may have turned from that one. But he's turned from all those to this one and commits to that. When you come to Christ, you're turning from this world, you're turning from the things that you're depending on and depending on Jesus Christ, trusting Him alone for your eternal life. And my friend, I can tell you on the authority of God's Word, not my authority, God's Word's His authority, that if you have not done that, I can tell you right now, if you walk out of here and get killed today, you are going straight to hell. Not because I say so, because the Bible says so. And yet you can avoid that today, because when we have this hymn of invitation in just a moment, you're going to have an opportunity to walk this aisle, meet me here at the front, and I will direct you to someone trained in the Word of God that will open the Bible and show you how to be saved. But we can't do that if you don't come. So please, please, please come when we start singing that first verse. Don't put it off. You have doubts. What are people going to think? What people think won't matter as much as what people will see when you're cast into the lake of fire. Make sure of it right now, won't you?